We're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Welcome to Wayfinding Growth. This episode is brought to you by Impulse Creative's Video Marketing Masterclass. George B. Thomas built out an 11-module on-demand course on how to leverage video in your business at impulsecreative.com forward slash VFM for Video Masterclass. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Moyle. And I'm Remington Begg. We're so glad that you're here. On today's episode, we're talking with the co-founder of Tetra, Nelson Joyce. So Dan, what did you love most about this episode? Man, first of all, I just loved getting to know Nelson. Like he was just what a what a chill guy, so nice to open up. But uh I took some notes here on my trusty notebook and one of the things that he that he said that hit me really hard was not just for business but for life, that you gotta keep your emotions kind of in check, so to speak. It's the swings that kill you, he said. Mm-hmm. And that hit me hard. Not too high, not too low. So that was great. And then the other thing was um, you know, Tetra is a tool that helps you document everything. And you asked him, I think it was why start early if you're a small company? He was like, well, start documenting early, start documenting early to build habits. And then he talked about how he uses it and why. And that was a, that was a great takeaway too. Um, I'm curious though about you because we always have different perspectives. So I want to yeah. know what, what did you take away from this one? So for, for a long time, I've been looking for almost like that anti-startup as you actually coined it in the message. Um, but I loved how he talked about taking VC money actually increases your risk. It doesn't lower it. And I think a lot of times companies think that by taking money, they can, they can lower their risk to achieve that status. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I really loved his insights in that. And then as a founder and a co or, and or co-founder, um, also realizing that you have to make sure you don't flame out and take people with you if things go bad. So there's like a, a real fundamental responsibility there. And he like very eloquently talked about that. Um, I loved how transparent he was. I can't wait for everyone to listen to this, this episode. Yeah. yeah transparent was great. He was, yeah, just full of insight. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, great episode. Thanks for putting this together. Uh, friends, get ready for season two, episode four with Nelson Joyce and how Tetra has grown. So season two, episode four, Nelson Joyce from Tetra. Welcome to Wayfinding Growth, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. I'm stoked. I love Tetra. Nelson and I go way back. Not really yeah. so far back, but we go way back. <laughs> yeah, Huntington's yeah. always been uh, willing to try our very early versions of all our products, so I appreciate that. Of course. He of is, course. He is a beta testing uh, uh, aficionado, let's say, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. So go ahead, Remington. So when we, so, you know, take a second just to tell people what Tetra is. Uh, because I, I think that as we start to go into today's conversation, we might start hearing a couple of things. So you mind giving that like a couple breaths of an intro yep. to Tetra and, and what you do there? Yeah. So Tetra is an internal wiki tool that's built for companies uh, to help them basically document all of their processes and information so that they can grow more efficiently. Uh, so it helps with answering repetitive questions that people have. It also helps you onboard people more quickly because all that information that's trapped in your coworkers' heads is actually written down in a centralized place. So you can just go find the information instead of trying to ask 15 people over Slack, you know, what the Wi-Fi password is or something. So it's just a system to get all that trapped knowledge out of your head into a centralized place so your teammates basically can find it. Love it. 
Yep. Love it. And that's huge. I mean, communication obviously is, is critical, especially in this world of remote employees, distributed teams, whatever you want to call it. But even internally, having that tool, what I liked what you said, Nelson, was a, an internal wiki communication yep. thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think what happened, one thing we noticed is like when Slack got really popular uh, and started to spread, people kind of were like, wow, this is great. What other things can we use that can help us in this way to communicate better? So it kind of caused this cascade effect where people kind of rethought the way they were using software to kind of help them operate better. And we kind of have been riding that wave, which has been great. And Slack just went public a couple weeks ago. It was doing really well. So I, I credit a lot to what we were able to do to what Slack helped bring into the world, which has been really awesome. Right on. That's cool. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to d- dive in a little bit to uh, what we like to call charting the course uh, as we're talking about finding the growth and everything and having your, your wayfinding points. Um, I, I noticed in your background, Nelson, uh, you were uh, at HubSpot with what was called a product entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty intriguing to me. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what's a product entrepreneur? So can you take us back to that and what that means? Yeah, so I guess full transparency, we just made that title up ourselves. Uh, <laughs> Nothing reason, wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, reason being they didn't, they being like our bosses really didn't know how to categorize us. So they kind of said, well, what are you? You know, and product entrepreneur was what we came up with. And the reason why we needed separate titles uh, is because we were operating outside of the normal product systems. So we had our own team that was building a completely, completely different product separate from the normal HubSpot product. Uh, it was called Lead-In, which is what Remington was, was had used, I think, back in the day. Yeah. So we, you know, David Cancel was our boss at the time. Uh, me and my current co-founder, Andy, worked on this together at HubSpot. So when we started working together, David sat us down said, okay, you guys are working on this new project. Uh, it needs to be free or cheap, probably, maybe. It should be for like smaller companies who can't afford the full HubSpot and you should use orange in the logo. And that was the only input he gave us. And he said, just go build something. Like, I don't even care what it is really, as long as it follows those general guidelines. Awesome. Uh, so that's Sounds kind of why we were operating in this like different world, you know? Yeah. So is that, is that product entrepreneur within inside of a company? Is that what helped fuel your entrepreneurial journey into Tetra then? Yeah. I mean, it was basically a dress rehearsal for actually starting a company. Uh, I mean, Andy and I knew we wanted to work together uh, on a company someday. And we kind of used the lead in thing inside of HubSpot as the, yeah, like I said, the dress rehearsal, uh, because one of the biggest risks you take in starting a company is can you even work with the person or the people that you're starting it with, right? So we wanted to eliminate one of those massive risks like right out of the gate uh, and just kind of practice running a company together, basically. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that and that worked out. And lead in lead ins now like a core part of the product in HubSpot. So you guys must have must have hit the ground running the right way. Yeah, I mean, we took it from zero to like 15,000, 20,000 businesses using it. Uh, and we got it to a point where HubSpot basically couldn't kill it. So 
uh, <laughs> we knew our legacy was cemented at that at that point. So then we could move on and do other things. Amazing. That's funny. That's awesome. So then, so if that was one of your your plans was to make sure that you could work with someone, what's something that within Tetra at this point maybe isn't isn't quite as happy ending? What's one of your your shipwrecks where you've had to learn a lesson? Yeah, I mean, we've had plenty. <laughs> we've had a lot. Uh, and we have always kind of shared them openly, which is, you know, been hard, but I'm glad we've done it because it makes sure. us, you know, admit that we're human and that starting a business is hard. Absolutely. Right. And almost every great business almost dies at least once, probably more than once. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I mean, for us, a big shipwreck was almost running out of money, uh, okay. and having to lay a few people off. That was pretty bad. That's uh, hard. Yeah. I mean, what happened was we basically, uh, couldn't raise more money. And really the reason why we couldn't raise more money is we really didn't want to. <laughs> oh. So it was this thing we needed to do to keep all the employees and keep running the company the way we were running it, but our heart really wasn't in it. You know, so uh, when we went out and tried to raise money, we basically couldn't get it done because I think investors could tell that our heart really wasn't in it. And uh, so that caused us to get pretty close to running out of money. But uh, we ended up, like I said, had to lace people off, uh, cut salaries a little bit, but we, you know, bounced off the off the ground and kept going. And now we're you know, it forced us to rethink how we were running the company, I think, and kind of admit to ourselves that we weren't a hyper growth, you know, venture back company. And we could kind of, we could, and we wanted to run the company in a more sustainable, realistic way. Right. And that like, it was super painful and, you know, wouldn't want to go through it again, but it actually helped us kind of solidify what our beliefs were and how we wanted to run the company. So it ended up actually being, you know, and it ended up being good because we were able to kind of make those changes we needed to make. That really sounds like a defining moment then. I mean, that that's, yep. you know, one of those things and, you know, impulse, we had a very similar, similar, like feeling like you're bouncing off the pavement. That's like yep. the perfect way to explain it. Um, and the faster that you, the faster you're trying to go up, a lot of times the harder you're going to crash if you're not doing it the right way. And so, I, I really love that you, that you kind of brought that up. Um, but it sounds like it's defined. you know, I follow you guys on Twitter like crazy. You're super open about just about everything, um, in your company. And yeah. you know, I, I think that that's, I think that that's really huge, but talk to me about, talk to me about your heart, not really being in getting funding because you don't hear that a lot with SAS. Um, but I'm incredibly intrigued. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, a lot of ways you can build a company. Nothing, there's not a right or a wrong way to do it, right? It's just trade-offs. So we saw firsthand like the good side of hypergrowth and like for the most part, the good side of running a hypergrowth company inside of HubSpot, right? Uh, yep. But those stories are like, that's the exception to the rule basically because eight out of every 10 of those companies is going to flame out and basically either you know, burn out its employees, you know, create toxic culture, or it's gonna, you know, it's just going to be a bad situation in, in majority of cases. Right. Uh, and that's that work, that math works fine 
for a VC because at any given time, they're probably invested in 10, 20 companies, right? So if 80% of them fail, that's fine for them, which is right. how their business model works. But for me as an entrepreneur, I have one chance, right? right. So why would, why would I use my one chance on something that has an 80% chance of failure or more, probably more 90% chance of failure, right? So, you know, Andy and I, like I said, we saw that method works fine in a lot of cases, but we were not willing to make the trade-offs uh, to, to go that route, right? Because the trade-offs basically are you give up control of the company, right? You, or you basically invite third parties to have control of your company, right? In, in the form of investors and like a board of uh, outside investors. Uh, and then the other thing you give up is optionality, right? So you have to build a billion dollar company or you fail, right? And there's a lot of different options that this my company right now could go to, go through that is not a billion dollar exit, but that would still be a wild success, right? Sure. And we, we didn't want like, we didn't want to eliminate all of those options and then just pigeonhole ourselves into one option, right? Yeah. And like, and what will happen is because you've basically agreed to that one option or nothing, the, the people who you basically invite into your company as co-owners will force you to do that. And you're right. basically contractually obligated to go for that one in a hundred shot or, you know, so That's a lot of risk. <laughs> yeah. It's people. It's funny that people actually like, I think the common wisdom is that raising money is like a risk decreasing activity because it, it like increases your runway, but it actually increases your risk by a lot you know, because you are removing all that optionality. Uh, so like we, we saw that path, we knew it, you know, we, and we, our eyes are open basically. Like we've been around the VC game for a while. We understand how that stuff works and we know a lot of people want to do it and that's fine, but uh, we just weren't willing to trade off the things we needed to trade off in order to go down that path. Great insight. I think that's fantastic. So you talked yeah. about the shipwreck. So what, what about, what about a proudest moment that you can share with people like in what I did teach you? Uh, yeah, I would say a proud moment for me was uh, we were having a product team meeting a few weeks ago and everyone just kind of, we were just doing a, like a postmortem at, like at the end of a month or like a retro at the end of a month. And everyone was just kind of like, this place is awesome. Like I love working on this team. Like this, this group of people is like so awesome. And, and that was really, I was proud of that. You know, uh, it felt good. Spoken like, spoken like a true co-founder. That's right. And yeah. How do you, how do you keep that culture going? Like what is your and Andy's view of the future saying, okay, right now they love it and everything's great. How do we keep that going? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Cause I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> Love I it. Have, That's fair. I have, That's fair. I have some guesses and I have some theories about how we can do it. Uh, and I think our, th our theory on it is to that if you don't have to grow super, super fast and hire 50 people a month, which at points during HubSpot, our HubSpot career, HubSpot was hiring 50 people a month, right? Mm -hmm. If not more, probably more now, but at that point it was, it was crazy. But I think growing slowly actually is a superpower because people can kind of, uh, you know, get used to the new system and the system kind of scales naturally without breaking. 
right? So analogy Andy, my co-founder uses a lot is going the VC backed route or raising a lot of money, hiring really fast is the equivalent of like taking steroids to get ultra strong, super fast, mm. right? Like you get strong, you're able to do it. But as, as soon as you stop taking the steroids, you basically have all these health problems, your body deteriorates, right? But building type of company we're building is like actually just lifting weights a lot, <laughs> you know, in a natural way every, without taking every day. <laughs> yeah. Being in the gym five days a week. Right. And doing squats right. every like, and deadlifts, like that's the equivalent. Right. So, and like you grow more slowly, but it's a more sustainable growth. Mm-hmm. So like that, so growing slowly. And I think the way we operate is pretty smart because we use our product so much. So like everything we do has to be documented and explained, right? Nothing can be like decisions can't be made in like some back room where with no input from everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's so awesome. yeah, just being open. Like we, we're also very, as much as we share externally, we share even more internally, right? So like, for example, we have transparent salaries. So everyone knows what everyone else makes. Everyone knows how much equity everyone else has. Uh, we try to be really open about product decisions, about company decisions, uh, about how you get promoted, how, you know, how you get more equity, how you get new titles. Uh, and we're kind of building that stuff out slowly over time. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot like the common startup wisdom, one all startup wisdom is shaded by the fact that it's, it's expecting you to be a VC backed super growth company, but a lot of the startup. And so because of that, a lot of the startup wisdom is that process is evil, right? Mm. Operational process is evil and it will slow you down and it will kill your company. But in, if you don't have to grow that fast, you can actually be thoughtful Strong. about processes, about why you're doing the things you're doing. Like if, if you're not going to be out of money in three months, you can make long-term decisions and you don't have to just say, how can we just get the money in the bank in the next few months? Right. So yeah. We've actually been able to, another benefit of not going down that route is that we can be thoughtful about this stuff and actually put these things in place, you know, from an, we're seven people, right? So like, so we tell people that when we tell people that we're seven people and they're shocked that we're only seven people because of the quality of stuff we're able to put out, right? And, uh, and they're also shocked that we have all these processes in place, right? Well, you don't need that. You're only seven people. You're so, you know, like, but like the amount of stuff we can get done per person is so much higher because we have all these systems in place. You know, it's like, it's a total efficiency game for us. So mm-hmm. it's amazing. That's awesome. awesome. So yeah. I'm hearing intentional growth and I like sing that from the rooftops when I'm, t- yeah. when I'm talking about it. So that, that is, that's some great insight. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're I feel like we kind of run almost like an agency in a way because we're so, you know, cautious about resource allocation and efficiency, uh, probably not to the same degree, but in more than a normal startup, I would say normal startup, you know, quote unquote. I wouldn't even call you a startup. Right. I almost think that's a bad word in comparison to what you're talking about. I mean, no, no offense to anyone who's doing a startup, but like most people that are startups are going for that VC money and it's like a completely different customer. Um, because the customer is the VC. Totally. So, so it's, it's really cool. And I love, I've loved watching your journey and like, you guys have been super open about like your intentions about um, going after debt instead 
and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I think that that's just, that's just amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, I think that's an interesting point that we're not a startup. Uh, yeah. It's like, we're something else. I don't know. Uh, cause startups company. are, yeah, tech company, small tech company or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's an interesting point. So Nelson, you when you were talking about at the beginning, having to go out and, and find money, uh, I want to I want to go back to that for a second here because we're still talking about that a little bit right now. Yeah. So, so let me first clarify: Did you have to go raise money then, just not through the VC route? Uh, the, I mean, the main bulk of it was cutting expenses, right? So like, you can either cut it, like you can either increase revenue, get money from an outside source, or decrease spending. Okay. And most people never look at the that last one. Most sure. startups never use that last one as an option. Uh, yeah. Because, so, you know, because it's all about how, like when you talk to a normal startup, if I go out and talk to a peer in Boston, the first question they ask is how many people are you now? Cause like that is the only thing people think measure. about. That yeah. is the measure of a successful company because that is, if you're hiring people, that means you've raised a lot of money. Right. It's, it's not, it's usually not because you've, close a lot of customers. Mm -hmm. uh, It's because you've raised a lot of money. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, it's always, and the conversations are always about investors and raising money. It's never about their product or their customers. You know, it's always about, Oh yeah. Can you intro me to this VC, that VC? Like I talked to so-and-so like we're good buds. I'll intro, you know, it's like all about the VC Mm -hmm. network about, raising money, like the problems around raising money. It's very, it's very rare if someone's talking about, you know, making customers happy, which yeah. is a little perverse in my mind, but it's very insane. It yeah. 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 It seems completely backward. You guys, it's like being the anti-startup. Right. That's what it is. Love yeah. it. That's even that's better. Cool. That's cool. All right, cool. That answers that. I, Cause yeah. I was thinking like, like in my mind, if, if you're out there looking for investors or supporters or even customers, is it better to have those co-founders doing that as the face or can you then hire somebody to be yeah. kind of your like a uh, hired gun spokesperson? Like, is, is there a better way, but doing it a whole different way altogether sounds like the, the best decision. So you're, you're talking about fundraising, like having one person do the fundraising and the other person, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So like if, you know, if, if you were to say that rather than cutting expenses, you are out raising money in some way, whether, I mean, maybe not necessarily VC, but just. Yeah. Angels is a good example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is it better to have the co-founders do it, you and Andy, or is it better to maybe find almost like an agent? Um, is that even a thing? So I was just, was kind it of. Is a, yeah, it is a thing. I, okay. I've heard from investors that they don't like it, which makes sense. Cause like, it's, it's weird. What VC, in my opinion, what VCs are actually trying to figure out is how good you are at sales when you're pitching. They don't actually care about the business, like the fundamental nuts and bolts of the business because it is so early. Yeah. Well, they don't even care about that in a lot of, in the early stages, they don't care about numbers, but what they care about is it, can this person sitting across the table from me, convince me to give them hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And if they can, they probably can convince a customer to do the same thing, Hmm. you know? So like they're actually testing you and your sales abilities in my, in a lot of cases for most people that it's not, not every single VC does that, but a lot in the early stages, that is what they're testing. Mm -hmm. So they're they're basically putting you through a gauntlet of sales 
And then, and that's why so many, you know, it's why so many companies that are poorly run, but just have a really good sales funder founder raise so much money. Sure. It's because they, the, the, they're just using that founder as the decision making criteria to assess the entire company. Hmm. You know, it, it also helps with recruiting, right? If you're a good salesperson, you can recruit really good people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a right. super useful skill. Uh, and like, I don't know if it's like the one thing that's going to make a difference. It's just one of many things. You sure. Know, but. Interesting. Charisma, right? Yeah. That's what it's all about. Right. It's charisma and it's like, yeah, it's not, it's like, because the, you know, entrepreneurship is crazy, right? It's like, how can, how do you convince someone that something that does not exist is worth a billion dollars? Right. That's what you're doing. It's true. Yeah. Think of, think of what, think of how you have to bend the truth to make that seem obvious, right? Or how you have to right. distort reality to make that feel like a plausible thing, right? It's like, it's completely implausible. So it's right. like, if you can convince someone to put their money on the line, not to just even believe it, right? Like to get someone to believe it is one thing, but then to get them to also give you money and put it on the line based on the success of that idea, like that is insanity, right? But but it's happening. Like, people do it. Doesn't yeah, mean so. it's right though. <laughs> no. So cool. So what, um, so obviously you guys document processes like crazy, but let's try not yep. necessarily to use Tetra because that would be a navigational tool for a journey for me, but what would be like, would be, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, like probably ridiculous at a ridiculous level. I create a Tetra just about every day, a Tetra doc. <laughs> um, but what, what do you use or what do you wish you had for your journey as you started building Tetra? Uh, what, what do I wish I had? In the yeah, beginning? it could be a tool or like it, it could be, it could be anything. Like, what do you like looking back hindsight, right? But yeah. what, what do you wish you had in the journey? Um, or wish you had known in the journey as you're going? I mean, not to be a dead horse, but I wish I had these insights four years ago when we started. Uh, okay. it took a lot of pain to get there, right. To crystallize those thoughts, these thoughts that I've been sharing. Um, I mean, I I would never have been able to crystallize them without this journey, but if I could somehow put my brain inside of the four year, four year ago version, uh, we would have saved ourselves a lot of pain, Uh, (laughs) but you know, live and learn, I guess. Uh, But a tool, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, just like my, I mean, a tool I'm glad I had, can I screw sure. it by saying yeah. that yeah. Uh, is just, I would say, I would call it like resiliency in that. And that means both positive and negative resiliency. So not getting too happy when things are good, not mm-hmm. getting too down when things are bad and just kind of keeping that even keel, which is so important because it's, it's like, it's the swings in emotion that kill you. You know, it's, it's going from closing a big customer to having a big customer churn in eight hours, which that type of stuff happens all the time. Right. You know, so, so like, if you don't, you have to just have to keep that even keel, which I feel like me and my co-founder Andy are pretty good at, which also makes us bad at doing the fundraising because we can't get ultra hyped about something. We're always super realistic. Well, it might not work. Like here are the problems (laughs) with it, you know? 
which that doesn't do you any favors when you're trying to again convince someone that the thing you're building is worth a billion dollars so yeah right yeah i i go through i say it all the time to the team i think they get tired of it like what's the best that can happen what's the worst that can happen can we survive the worst right and And it's, it's similar to that resilience is like, I just kind of average out in the middle. Everyone's like, this is awesome. I'm like, it's okay. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> a good thing when I say it's okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost the same answer when it's bad. Like it's okay. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I've heard somebody say before, like it, just in life in general, which kind of is, mirrors what you just said, Nelson, the, the highs aren't all you're doing and the lows aren't all your fault. Yeah. So like just live in that middle of, when things are good, enjoy. When things are bad, make them better. But just kind of live in that middle and, and be good. Um, yeah, it's the swings that kill you in emotion. Yeah. Nelson was awesome. Yeah, got to be a stoic. Yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. if you could – so that, that's great insight, and that's great for you to want to have that four years ago. <laughs> but, but since you can't, if you were going to be a wayfinder for somebody else and help them through all of this, what would be the first piece of advice that you would give them? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll share the best piece of advice I ever got in entrepreneurship because yeah. I, w- I would just say this to them. Uh, it actually was from Nick Francis, who is the CEO of Help Scout, co-founder yeah. of Help Scout. And Andy and I went in to see him uh, when we were, I think it was when we were trying to raise this money that we failed to do. Uh, we kind of ran him through the business you know, showed him the numbers, told him about our customers, said, you know, we're trying to raise this money, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and his advice was, you're doing a great job. Just keep going and don't give up. <laughs> and like, it, it was, we were like, what, what do you mean? Like, we're not doing great. Like we can't raise this money or not. He's like, you have customers. They're paying you money. Just be patient. You're doing fine and keep going and don't give up. Right. And that was like, the most mind blowing advice. It's almost like anti advice, but it was like the perfect yeah. advice for that moment. Uh, and like I give now I give that advice to almost everyone who asks for it, you know, because a lot of the time you listen to someone what they're going through. And a lot of the time they're doing so much right and they're doing so much good stuff. Right? Yeah. And it's like, don't worry so much about what you're not doing. Right. As long as you have a path, to keep going and like you and you're unstoppable like basically you're profitable and can keep the company going like who else do you have to you know make happy besides yourself and your customers you know so just keep going don't freak out like you're going to be fine basically yeah. i actually love that i think that's don't freak out yeah <laughs> and, and at the end and don't freak out <laughs> yeah that's great and awesome yeah that's awesome yeah. So is there anything that we didn't ask you um, that you would want our listeners to know? How the Red Sox are doing? Not so well. <laughs> I don't know. That's right. So, the Tigers, so that's fine. Yeah. yeah so so I, I've, got, I've got one to kind of tee this up. So talk to me like if I'm starting my business today. Um, you're big on, on documenting processes and everything. What, yeah. um, what and why should I start documenting when I don't need it? Yeah, I would say it's a good question. Uh, I would say one to build a habit around it because it's going to be really hard when you got 20 other things going on if you don't have a habit around doing it. Uh, and yeah, you might, and also like you might not need it now, but you'd be surprised that you actually do use it even with one or two people. Uh, but even if you don't need it now, someone else down the line is going to need it, you know? Uh, 
like there's so much stuff that I document that I just use. I, I look up myself because I forget what, you know, I, what I did or why I made that decision. Right. Uh, so even just like starting out by just writing down the decisions you're making and why you're making them even start with just like big ones, you know, like that's one way to do it. Just to like build the habit or uh, I know you do this Remington, but like a weekly kind of like captain's log type thing where just what's on your mind. What are you happy about? What are you upset about? You know, what just basically a stream of conscious, almost like a journal, right? Mm -hmm. Like that. I think a lot of people hear the word documentation. They think it just means like step-by-step guides and stuff like that. And that is part of it. But a lot of documentation is just sharing that type of stuff. Like what's going on with you? You know, what are you thinking about? Why are you doing the things you're doing? that sort of stuff is that that stuff's actually super helpful to go back and look at and be like, Oh yeah, that's why we changed the title tags on the website. You know, like (laughs) it's true. Yeah. And that literally just happened to us two weeks ago. So (laughs) that's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Nelson, thank you so much for being a part of Wayfinding Growth and for what you do with Tetra. Um, Again, as you you know, we use it a ton at uh, Impulse Creative. So that's awesome. Makes me really happy to hear that. Thanks for being customers, guys. Absolutely. And we'll put links to Tetra in the show notes. So uh, look for that. Hey, man, thanks again for being here. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it. Post it, tweet it, gram it, email a friend. Give the gift of knowledge to someone you know that could benefit from it. And if you really loved it, please consider leaving a rating and written review on your podcast player of choice. And as always, go to wayfindinggrowth.com for resources and past episodes. Remember, we're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Thank you for listening to Wayfinding Growth.